0: Our scripture lesson for today, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I am there among them the gospel of the Lord well people of God may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever amen how many of you are familiar with the expression I'm only gonna say this once probably most of you right it's a pretty common expression how many of you have said it probably a lot if you haven't said it I'm sure you've heard it I mean parents say it to their kids Teachers say it to their students. Bosses say it to their employees. I mean, it's all over the place. And I really kind of like this, this statement. I think it's kind of a funny one. And, and the implication behind it is, is sort of a big deal. I'm only gonna say this once. To me, when I hear that, or when I say it, and I've been known to say it too, it seems to indicate that what I am about to say to you is so earth shatteringly important that it will utterly rewrite the synapses of your brain to change the way you think, because this is so important, I should never ever have to say it again. Now, I wonder how well does that really work? I can't speak for you. In my experience, both when I've said that and when I've heard it, it's never true, is it? Because every time I've ever heard or said the expression, I'm only gonna say this once, it gets said a second time. We're imperfect people. We never get our brains rewired in the ways that, of course, will respond in the way that the person wants them to. So, you know, it happens. What's this got to do with our passage today? Well, perhaps more than you think. Before we really get into that aspect, though, I want to talk a little bit about where we're at. As we continue on through the church year, something that which actually began clear back last December with the beginning uh, at the, the season of Advent when we started the year of Matthew's Gospel, As we continue on through and we move towards the end of this church year which is coming up here in another few months as we get actually to the beginning of december we'll start a new church year and we'll finish up the 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 year of matthew's gospel we see this overarching theme and just this type of thing that moves on now through much of this season of pentecost that we've been in for 15 weeks now and we'll continue on all the way through november we continue to see a theme of the growth of the church and we see the ongoing ministry of jesus moving towards its its completion its fruition which happens for us when jesus reaches jerusalem and the events that happen at holy week now we're about as far away from holy week as we could possibly be right now but what we're seeing in these passages that we've been featuring this ongoing work of jesus the ongoing ministry of jesus it's moving that direction And very recently, if you've tuned into our videos, or if you've been here in person for our outdoor worship, in very recent history, we had the first of what is called Jesus' passion predictions. This happened, I believe, just a week or two ago. My memory's a little fuzzy at the moment, but a time when Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Now, here's what that means. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested i'm going to be tortured i'm going to be killed but on the third day i will rise again that's what's known as the passion of jesus and that very thing is called the passion predictions it happens in each of the gospel about three or four times so it's not anything that's out of the ordinary we've heard it for the first time from jesus it continues as this time because he is pointing out to his disciples to this group of people who is following him this group of people that he has gathered together about what is coming up And we are moving ever closer to that. Now, as we think about that, this particular portion, this particular passage is found in the midst of of a time when Jesus is speaking about things that perhaps could have a couple of different interpretations. And most of what we have, most of this passage today, which I'm going to get into in just a second here, most of it is found within some of the other Gospels. In the very least, this portion, or portions of this is found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, it's found in Luke, and there's even some little aspects of it found in John. And most of it is what we hear today, as Jesus is talking about what happens when sin happens within the church. Now, I kind of really appreciate this this passage. I appreciate this step-by-step instructions that Jesus gives, but it's important to note that there are kind of two different ways that we could interpret this. And it happens to be when we consider the audience who is hearing this. And I think that there's twofold. First off, we have the audience that would have heard Jesus say this in the first place. And that would have been his disciples, the immediate people that he gathered around him throughout the course of the ministry, those who followed him around. And I'm not just talking about the 12 disciples, though they are certainly applicable, but also the rest of this small group of people who ranged somewhere between about 70 to 120 people, depending on what part of the the scriptures we're reading. A small group of people. This is the grouping. This is the assembly. This is what we could call the church. That's what this passage, how this particular translation calls it, when a member of the church. Now, what it actually is, is if a brother from the assembly That's what the original language points to. And and, and keep in mind, assembly, that's a better way of saying it rather than church or congregation or or community or whatever. But Jesus is talking about when there is brokenness within this gathered community, this, this grouping, this assembly. And I appreciate what he says. If there is brokenness, if someone sins against you, if a fellow member of this assembly sins against you, causes harm to you, seek them out. I want you to go to them, point it out, seek reconciliation with them. If they repent, if they offer reconciliation, if they take the steps of reconciliation back, you have gained your brother, things are good again. If that doesn't work, bring a couple of witnesses, bring a couple of other people from within the assembly who have also witnessed to this, bring them, and the three of you, the two or three of you point it out to them. If they repent, if they offer you reconciliation back, if they if they make amends, you have gained them back again. If they don't, then bring the entire assembly. Bring them all and point it out. And if they offer reconciliation, if they repent, if they di- they repair the damage caused, you have regained your brother. That's what Jesus is talking about. And as we consider his immediate audience, it would have been that small group of people. And it seems pretty pretty straightforward. These are the ones who have gathered. This is the gathered assembly. Not that they are gathered perfect people, but broken people who cause harm to one another. And if that happens, let reconciliation be sought after and hopefully achieved. That's one way of looking at this. Now, the other potential audience for this would be everyone who's ever read this, and that includes us now. Keep in mind, the Gospels were recorded round about the turn of the first century, so quite a few decades after Jesus was around. There are some scholars who think that this particular portion might be an an added in portion, and maybe Jesus said this, maybe Jesus didn't say that, but this is aimed at the structure of the church as it was known, or as it had become, as it had formed, over the course of that first century. And if that's the case, then this is a little bit more of a detailed instructions of how to deal with Issues when they arise within the church. Now, it's the same either way. The interpretation is the same. It's just a question of who exactly is the audience. But all of that, that is the immediate portion. And it seems to be centered around this idea of when brokenness rears its ugly head, and of course that happens because none of us are perfect people, seek reconciliation. Seek to be reconciled with the one who has harmed you. And if someone points out to you that they, that they have been harmed by your actions or by your, your deeds or by your words, be reconciled to them, repent of it. Don't get all defensive, don't get all uppity, but offer repentance back. Try to make up for it, be reconciled. And if they do, if they have harmed you and they seek reconciliation, then offer them forgiveness and offer them mercy. That is at the center of this assembly Whatever that assembly looks like that Jesus is talking about, whether it was that roughly 120 people or whether it's us as followers of Christ who are in community with one another now. All of this is aimed at reconciliation within the community, within the gathered assembly of imperfect people. Now, as I said, that's the portion that's present in the other gospels. But let's think about how we started this whole thing. I'm only going to tell you this once. Well, that's probably an indicator that there is a portion of this that only ever gets said one time. And that's the very tail end of this passage. Matthew's gospel is the only time in the gospels when we hear Jesus say this. If two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And here's the important part. For wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among whenever something is unique within a specific gospel, it always grabs my attention, and I think it's so vitally important that we always pay attention to that. Now, it's possible you've heard me talk about this before. I tend to bring it up. Whenever something is unique, it always catches my attention, and it's always worth saying, hey, what's going on here? What I think is important about this particular aspect, these words that I've just shared, unique to, to Jesus, unique to Matthew's gospel, as opposed to the other parts which are present in the others, is that as Jesus is talking about being reconciled within the assembly, we need to remember where that assembly comes from in the first place. That really seems to be the central point of this closing portion. And Jesus says, if two or three are gathered in my name, Are gathered now I really dove into this I really paid attention to the original language because as you may know if you're not brand new I'm kind of an original language nerd and I like to get into that it's in the passive voice now when something happens in the passive voice it means that the subject is not the one actually doing the action someone is doing the action or something is doing the action to them they are passive within it and the action here is being gathered if two or three or however many are gathered Well, think about who is gathered. Those who are gathered are the assembly, right? Whether it's two people or whether it's three people or whether it's 20 people or whether it's 200 people or 2,000 or 2 million or however many, when they are gathered, we hear that's the importance. And I have to make one more point too, because I kind of glossed over. I meant to talk about this and I sort of blanked on it, but it's important. Who does the gathering? When they are gathered, in whose name? Jesus says, in my name. So who's doing the gathering here? If we're looking at the immediate apostles or the immediate disciples and the group of 120 people, Jesus physically, literally gathered them. As he went about his business of ministry, he gathered those that he wanted around him. And if we're especially talking about the 12 disciples, we hear Jesus gathered the ones that he wanted. Jesus does the gathering. And if we look at the larger audience of everyone who's ever read this gospel, including us, we are gathered through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've said this many, many, many times, and it's worth coming back to over and over and over again. The act of faith, the very thing that brings us together as a united, unified community, a community of faith, is something that is not self-generated. Faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit, is a gift of the divine. We saw that a couple of weeks ago when Peter made his, his divinely inspired proclamation, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, and Jesus says, yeah, and you know who revealed that to you? That came from God. That's not of you. Jesus gathered the immediate disciples, the Holy Spirit gathers us. We come together because we have been Called and called by who? Well, the one who's among us, the one who promises to be among us. If you gather in my name, I am there too. The one who promises to be with us is the one who gathered us in the first place. Now, all of that being said, it's worth coming around and reminding us of what Jesus is talking about in this whole overarching thing. He's talking about giving reconciliation, about offering forgiveness, about offering to make up for the harm that has been caused, and then giving mercy within that. A community, a gathered community that's not centered around my way or the highway, a community that's not gathered around the idea that look out for number one, but one that is brought into relationship with one another, with imperfect one another, because God calls imperfect people together. And when we do cause harm, because of course we do, We follow the example of the one who came into this world, who lived, died, and rose again to make reconciliation possible. Now, what Jesus was accomplishing made reconciliation between God and humanity possible, but I think it also made reconciliation between humanity possible. We are imperfect people, and yes, we cause harm. If it's never happened to you, well, guess what? It has happened to you. I just don't believe you. We harm one another. Even those of us in the church, folks, we're not perfect people and we know that. And for us to act in a way that we act like we are is a lie. But God gave us this example, this instruction of Jesus to give reconciliation, to offer reconciliation, to seek reconciliation and forgiveness and mercy. But if we look at what Jesus says, apparently there are times when it is not always gonna work. He tells us, if the individual will not listen to the gathered assembly, treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, if we consider the way that his audience would have heard that, first century Jewish people, they did not associate with Gentiles and they weren't big fans of tax collectors because tax collectors had betrayed their nation, their culture to the Romans. So he's saying, treat them like you would treat those. There are gonna be times when reconciliation is just not gonna happen. The person's gonna refuse for whatever reason. They're not going to see the harm that they caused. They're not going to offer to make up for it. It's just not gonna be possible. And so the best thing to do is to not be with them. He actually says that the assembly should basically kick them out and not associate with them anymore. But if that person is not seeking to be reconciled when they realize they've done harm, they've probably never really got the gospel in the first place the other thing i want to say about that what i think is important i think it's important for us to realize that yes there are going to be times when reconciliation is just not going to happen and rather than leaving ourselves in a place where we can continue to be harmed it's better to remove ourselves from that situation or it's better to keep yourself away from the person who will continue to do harm to you that is an absolute truth I think that there are times when it's just not going to work and that's the expression of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of individuals that that reconciliation will just not be possible but as I say that I want to make one more point Jesus says treat them like you would the Gentiles or the tax collectors but if we follow the example of the one who called us in the first place we also have to pay attention to how he treats the Gentiles, and the tax collectors. And as we see multiple times throughout the Gospels, he ministers to them as well. What we take from that is not that we should continue to place ourselves in a position of being harmed by someone who will not repent, but we simply remember that they too are a member of the human race who has been called and claimed by God. Regardless of the response, they are still a child of God that's an important thing for us to remember because we are united by our common humanity yes we are called together through the power of the holy spirit into relationship relationship that we model after the perfect relationship that jesus embodied and modeled in the need for reconciliation because we don't embody it perfectly but we are all still human whether we are in relationship with one another or not And as such, we are all susceptible both to the brokenness of the human race, but also, more importantly, to the love of the one who made us in the first place, the delight of the one who made us in the first place, that delight which is where our existence starts from. People of God, I hope that you take that to heart. As we are in relationship with one another, may it be one where we seek mercy and forgiveness and to repair the harm that is caused. And may we model that for the world.